0: Amen. You guys can, uh, can have a seat. Well, good morning again. Man, they're always so weak when they say that. Good morning again. Good morning. That's much better. Hey, I want to welcome you again into Source uh, this morning. And uh, forgot to mention earlier, if you're a guest with us today, uh, there's probably a connection card sitting near you uh, on a chair. If you just kindly fill that out, take it back to the Connection Center after service. We've got a nice gift to give you just for coming out and visiting with us this morning. Uh, also, moms, as you leave, um, we have a nice gift for you as well. So, But you have to wait till the end of the message uh, beforehand. So with that said, um, I, was, I was joking with the staff earlier and, and the worship team. Um, my planning wasn't that great when it came to, came to message planning, I guess, because today's message is nothing close to your typical average uh, Mother's Day message. So if you came to church this morning hoping to hear a Mother's Day message, I apologize. Um, there is another church down the road. You could probably still get there in time uh, if that's what you want. But uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and pull them out. And uh, we've been in a series uh, over the last couple of weeks called Who's Your One?, and uh, what we 've been talking about is um, we, we 've actually asked everyone in this congregation in this church to commit to praying for and trying to lead one person to christ and we 've been talking about just the the difference that that would make in this community uh, if we were able to do that with just the hundred or so people that we 've got here and so this morning, uh, I want to talk uh, speak on a subject that uh, is, I believe, clearly defined in the Bible um, in, in, a, in a few passages. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking about, ready, uh, for moms, and, and this is why we're giving the gifts out after the message, so if you leave early. But we're going to be talking this morning about the story of hell. And uh, so we're going to be looking at a passage that kind of clearly talks about that this morning. And uh, we can reference this this particular story in a few different passages, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46, and here's kind of what it deals with, right? Uh, Jesus is talking, he talks about, and many of you have probably heard this passage, whatever you did to the least of these brothers, you did what Jesus said unto me, right? And if you, if you look at the, the beginning of that passage, it also says this, it talks about the fact that there's coming this great judgment, right, where God will uh, separate the sheeps from the goats, He talks about the fact that some will go into everlasting life, while others will go into everlasting torture. So we're going to pick that up this morning, Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Again, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If you don't have them, we will have it up on the screen. So let's go ahead and read through this passage this morning. Now there was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in joyous splendor, and a beggar named Lazarus lay at his gate, covered with sores And longing to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. One day the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham from afar with Lazarus by his side. So he cried out. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He says, for I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham answered, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are left to suffer. And besides all this, He says a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that even those who wish cannot cross from here to you nor can anyone cross from there to us. Then I beg you father he said send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also end up in this place of torment. But Abraham replied they have Moses and the prophets let your brothers listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent. Now listen to me carefully. How did a man in hell know that in order not to go to hell, you needed to repent, right? They've got good theology in hell. Verse 31. Then Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. let me say this after reading this passage. If you had a family member that died and they were to go to hell, and Jesus released them from hell and sent them back to West Mifflin to warn you, the Bible says that there's no more likelihood that you would repent then than if you heard me speaking. Now I prayed this morning that God would help me preach this message with compassion, that he helped me preach this message tenderly and truthfully, believingly, to to, to help someone, right? And some might say, I was actually talking earlier, we were back praying, and Matt was like, man, I, I think I've only heard like three hellfire and brimstone messages in my whole life. Is this going to be one of them? But, you know, some people might say with a message like this that, you know, when you preach a message like that, that, you know, if there's someone in the, in the congregation that's lost, that, man, they'd get saved. And that might be true. But that's not why I'm preaching it this morning, right? Because I'm speaking to about 100 people in this room, and the majority of you in this room, you are not on your way to hell. You were. But a funny thing happened on the way to hell, right? You got saved. And you've forgotten where you were headed to the point that you no longer tell others where they're headed. See, we're living in a generation that doesn't like to hear what I'm preaching on this morning. And so because of that, most people don't deal with it. Right, I'm not preaching that the loss would be saved, but I hope they will be. I'm preaching that the saved will get burdened over the one. Now this morning I'm going to stick with my text and and kind of stick with that this morning. We're just going to go through some points based on the text. Now the Bible, we talked about this, records an account of this rich man and this poor man, right? They both die. Not only do they both die, but the Bible says that the rich man and the poor man have one thing in common, that God is the creator of both of them. And the poor man dies and he goes to heaven. He's embraced by Abraham. The rich man dies and he suffers in hell. And he looks across this great divide, right? he looks across this great divide in heaven and he asks for mercy, he asks for water, for someone to warn his family just so that they too would avoid this place of torment. Now, can I ask a question this morning? If Jesus is not gonna allow those in hell to come back and warn people, could you this morning ask me this one, or answer me this one question? Who will warn people? Right, who will warn people? In another account, Jesus tells the story of a future time when he separates humanity into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And he welcomes one, the sheep, with this phrase. He says, enter into my peace. To the other, to the goats, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into an everlasting fire which was prepared for the devil and the angels. Now that's where I was headed, right? Because I was part of the cursed. Until the gospel, right? Right? so i received and heard the gospel see the gospel is this that jesus became cursed for me the curse was going to fall on me namely in the wrath of god which was in the cup of that in the garden of gethsemane that was going to be poured out on sinners but see in that garden jesus he drank that cup right to become cursed for us and so basically where the wrath of God was going to fall on me, Jesus Christ became the cursed for me so that I could be cleansed, so that I could be forgiven, and so that I could spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. Now the Bible so often speaks on the reality of hell. And one of the most difficult questions, and I'm just going to give you one this morning for Christians is, and I, I bet you've heard this question, is how can a good and loving God send someone to hell? Now, I not only have a normal answer this morning, but I also have an abnormal answer. So let's go with the first, the normal answer. And that is this, God does not send anyone to hell. Right? We go on our own volition because we choose to reject God's son, Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John three seventeen. Now, the abnormal answer is I do not need God to condemn me to hell. Right, I was, I was taking care of the hell part on my own. That's why Jesus, he came to save me, not to condemn me. In 2001, a poll was taken in America asking the question, if Americans believed in hell. And in 2001, 71% of Americans said, yes, we believe in hell. Now in 2008, just seven short years later, it changed from 71% to now only 59% in 2008 of, of Americans believe in hell. And they asked the question, they asked these Americans to define what hell is. So listen to the people who don't believe in hell define hell. And here's what they say, and I quote, where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor and he lived his life from the perspective of both heaven and hell. And he directed his church members on how to spend the day with God. And listen to his quote. He he said this, he said, let God... Have your first awakening thoughts. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest and joy the night before. And cast yourself upon him for the day which follows. Familiarize yourself so consistently to this that your conscience may check when your common thoughts shall first intrude. Think of mercy of a night's rest and how many that have spent that night in hell, how many in prison, how many in cold, hard lodgings, how many suffering from agonizing pains and sickness, weary of their beds and their lives. Think of how many souls were that night called from their bodies terrifyingly to appear before God and think how quickly days and nights are rolling on, how speedily your last night and your last day will come. Observe that which is lacking in the preparedness of your soul for such a time, he says, and seek it without delay. Right? That is why I cannot demise to being softer on hell than Jesus in the scriptures. Now, this morning, this is going to be a very simple sermon, right? No one will need a translator when you leave this morning. It's not going to be in some sort of like parable form or anything like this. This will be the God-honest truth about hell. Now, you may already know this, but just in case you don't, if you were to read the New Testament... 27 books you would find that jesus spoke on hell three times to every one time he spoke on heaven and here's what i want you to know about what the bible says about hell so if you got your connection guides go ahead and pull those out we're going to just kind of go through some of these fairly quickly this morning and number one is that it's eternal right it's forever See, when someone says, you know, are you saved? Have you been born again? Are you a Christian? And someone responds, well, I hope so. I think so. Kind of counting on it. If there's a a way to know so, this is one of those subjects where I want to know so, right? 1 John in the Bible, 1 John 5, 13 says, I've written these things that you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I want to say something this morning. There's a lot that I don't know. I'm not that much of an intellectual individual. I study hard, I'm a disciplined man, but I'll tell you what I do know is that I know that I know. I know that I have eternal life. I know that God has changed me. Any man man in Christ is a new creation. I mean, I'm not all that I ought to be yet. My wife will attest to that. But I'm not what I used to be. But I'm telling you, Jesus has made a difference in my life and I'm glad because I really do believe with all of my heart that hell is an eternal place. And let me tell you why I'm preaching this sermon is because everyone here in this room this morning is going to spend eternity somewhere, right? Everyone who has ever lived is still alive somewhere. Number two is that hell is a place of pain. We look all through scripture, the Bible refers to this place as being tormented, Right, Jesus on one occasion, he says it's the place where the worm does not die. He's used these words like gnashing of teeth. So hell is a place of pain. Number three, hell is a place of sadness. Some of you may have read the book uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. and He describes this journey of an author who went through hell on his way to heaven. and In this section called the Inferno, he describes the sign above the portals of hell. Abandon hope, all you who enter here. What is so sad about hell is that there's no hope for anyone that will ever go there. Hell is a very sad place. Number four, we see that hell is also a place of fear. right? God's truths are designed to warn us Hell is a place of fear. You know what this sermon has the potential of doing this morning is giving you caution lights, right? You ought to leave here with just blinking lights in your mind saying, I'll tell you what, man, Rick preached about Jesus' message this morning and Jesus' message is slow me down from living the way I've been living. Number five, is that hell is a place of isolation, right? There's no record in the Bible of there being fellowship amongst the lost in hell, to the contrary, and and by the way, listen to this. This is really important. In hell, the man that's there in the passage that we just read, he's not looking for who he can fellowship with, right? He is now praying, and he's praying, somebody go tell my five brothers so they don't end up here because the last thing we need is anyone else in hell. Number six <clears throat> is that hell is a place of separation. Now, this morning when I got up, and I was thankful to God that I could get up and come here today and that today was the day that set aside for worship that I was going to be able to come to church this morning and corporately worship God and I thank God that I would see all of you this morning and fellowship with you I was I was thanking God for those things but look not in hell there'll never be a morning in hell there there'll never be a good morning greeting in hell never no one will ever say good night to you why because they're in hell right no wonder When, when someone gets mad at someone what do they tell them to do Right, they tell them to go to hell because you can't think of a more horrible place that you'd rather have somebody go. I mean, have you ever thought about that, right? I mean, why don't people just say, I I wish they'd go to heaven. Right, or I I wish they'd go to, you know, Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts or something like that. No, we don't do that. See, the truth is, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I've been giving, I've, I've given my life. To preach a gospel that would intersect every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. I mean, why in the world would anybody in here choose and decide volitionally to go to hell? Why? Now, we've been talking and describing what it's like this morning. So continuing this message, what I want to do is kind of tell you about everything, every good thing that I found about hell. Because there's some good things in hell. Might sound strange, but we're going to go through them this morning. So let's look, let's look at the good things in hell. Number one is that there's good people in hell. We've heard people say, you know what, I, I, I don't think he's going to hell because, you know, he's a good man. Look, good people go to hell. Morally speaking, don't, don't, don't tell me that you don't know that people that are good are not Christians, right? I know some people that are not Christians that live about as good a life and sometimes even better than those who claim they are. So let's quit this little foolishness about there's no such thing as good people aside from Christians. The Bible says, though, you know, compared to the, the glory of God, there's no one good. But according to the human standard, let me tell you what I found out about this rich man in our story this morning that I'd never considered. You might say, Well, how in the world can you say that this man that, that ended up in this passage that he was good? I mean, he wouldn't even give the, the, this, this beggar the crumbs from his own table. Well, let me tell you what he did do. He let him sit at the gate and beg. Let me ask you something. If, if, you, if you pulled into your driveway at your house today, and there's a homeless man sitting by your mailbox wrapped up in a blanket with a little basket, would you ask him to leave, or would you call the police? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, no, I wouldn't do that. I would go out there, and I would give him something to eat. I'd invite him in, <clears throat> and that's great. That's, that's awesome, <clears throat> but the bottom line is here's this man, this rich man, He wasn't all that bad because he let that guy stay there. And this rich man, if he was pretty well-to-do, right, I mean, that's the place to be. I mean, this beggar asked for people to come and pick him up and carry him there. Right? They, They said, carry me down there because, you know, this rich man, he's got a lot of money. He's got a big house. So if I, as a beggar, could just sit here and, you know, people that come into the house, they're loaded. And that man let him sit there. So there was some goodness in that man. Let me say something to you, if, you know, if you've been hung up on the fact that you don't think you're going to hell because you're good, you can go to hell a good man. Hell is full of good men and good women, of people that were kind and courteous. Number two, so there's no good, there's uh, number two is that there was uh, not just good people in hell, but there's good vision in hell. The Bible says, being in torment, that this man lifted up his eyes and saw a man afar. You know, one of the things, you know, even though we, we, we see these good things here that we're talking about, how not all things are good, okay? Everything that is good is not in essence good. But his vision, this man's vision was good in hell. He could see what he was missing. By the way, has this ever happened in, in this life? I mean, if you're not saved this morning, have you ever been able to to see hell so clearly that that, that you realize that when you get to hell, you're not gonna have what you've enjoyed in this life? See, this man, he's in hell, and he's able to see all the way over into heaven. God allowed it to happen undoubtedly. And this man is able to see what he's missing. Number three, there's good prayers in hell. As a matter of fact, if this man had prayed... The prayer in this life that he was praying at this moment, he wouldn't have gone to hell because he prayed that God would have mercy on him. It says, he lifted up and cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He said, for I am tormented in this flame. Number four, is that there is good memory in hell. By the way, aren't there some, when it comes to memory, aren't there some things you wish you could forget? This man, he said, son, or Abraham said, son, remember when, when in your lifetime you received good things, likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now Lazarus is comforted, but you are tormented. Here's what it says you will have in hell. We'll have consciousness, we'll have memory, we'll have a, a awareness. Next thing is that there's good theology in hell. See, this man realized that God exists, right? There are no atheists in hell. You say, man, you know, I don't believe there's a God. One day you will. See, everyone in hell believes in the Bible. They all know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Right, the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the sad thing about hell, you don't get away with anything. You know, the only time some of you really believe in hell is when you Know someone who deserved it, right? Hell's okay for you because it makes sense because it's the place where you think only people worse than you go there. Next thing is that there's good priorities in hell. He says in verse 27, I beg you, Father, he said, send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not end up in this place of torment. See, they believe in evangelism there, right? They're asking him to send somebody back to knock on the door to go to their house. See people in hell were wishing that someone would go and tell their family and tell them, "Look, let's not let the population of hell be more concerned over who's going to hell than the people in the church are concerned." By the way, the man the man here in torment, he had five people on his prayer list. How many people on their way to hell have you prayed for in the last five years? Number seven. There are good intentions in hell. This may be the most powerful part of the message. You say, what do you mean there are good intentions in hell, right? One can reject Christ through outright rebellion. I don't run into too many of those folks. I mean, I've been a Christian for 24 years. Hardly ever does someone say to me, I don't care if I go to hell, get out of here with that gospel. Hardly ever have I run into ardent, obstinate people that don't want to hear that at all. But rejection that I know of does not have to be active. Right, one can deny and refuse Jesus Christ through apathy. One can deny and refuse Jesus Christ through indifference, through procrastination, and even ignorance. You say, you know, I don't know what all you have to do to get saved, but I guess I will do that one of these days. See, hell is full of people that never intended to get there. They had good intentions, right? It's been said that the road that leads to hell is paved with good intentions. You say, well, well then what do I have to do? What do I have to do not to get to hell? What you have to do is you have to repent of your sins. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Right? Because you see, your sins are what send you to hell because they're never dealt with. But look, you're sorry for your sins. You ask God to forgive you and for Jesus Christ and Him alone to come into your life. And listen, you've got to do it while you're still alive because no one's getting a second chance. Some of you might say, well, you know what? I'm so good with words that when I get up there to those pearly gates, I think I can talk the Lord into it. Look, it doesn't work that way. You've got to do it while you're alive. You've got to do it while you're in your right mind Right while you're in your right mind this morning and you have the opportunity, if you're here today, you ought to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. And listen, you ought to do it lovingly because God made a way for you. I've heard people say, you know what, I'm just kind of using this as a fire escape. Listen, Jesus is not a fire escape. He's a savior. He is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He made you in the first place and bought you on the cross. That's who he is. And you better respond... While the gospel still appeals to you. See God may speak and draw you today. And you may say you know what I'll come when I want to. And you may close the door and you may never sense again what you're sensing now. Some of you may need to look at your wife and say you know what. Come with me because I need to go and come to Jesus. Some of you ladies need to say you know I've been playing games. I've never known inside that I need Jesus. Some of you children need to say to your mom and dad, look, mom and dad, I need Jesus this morning. Some of you as a family, as individuals, you ought to come this morning to Jesus. Lastly, let me say this. Based on Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, we need to understand that hell was not prepared for any of us. The Bible says that it was prepared for the devil and for his angels. I've never really thought about this. Hell was not prepared for any people. It was prepared for fallen angels and for the devil himself. Now on the contrary, heaven, heaven was prepared for us. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Jesus Christ said, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, Jesus says, there you may be also. Lord, we know not the way. How can we know? And Jesus said this. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth. And I am the life. No one can come to God the Father but through God the Son. You can spend eternity in a place that was not made for you. Or you can spend eternity in a place that was made for you. It all depends on what you do with Jesus. You pray with me.